Right now, switch your family to T-Mobile and get four lines for $25 a line with AutoPay and 5G access included on America's largest 5G network. So don't wait. Get unlimited and nationwide 5G access for the whole family for just $25 a line. Visit a T-Mobile store or T-Mobile.com today. Plus taxes and fees. Customers may notice lower speeds and further reduction if using over 50 gigs a month due to data prioritization. Video at 480p. Unlimited while on our network. Qualifying credit and four plus lines required. Capable device required for 5G. Coverage not available in some areas. Some uses may require certain features. See T-Mobile.com. The Leslie Marshall Show. A true democracy in talk radio. Of, for, and by you. The people. Live from our nation's capital, it's Deadline D.C. with Brad Bannon. Welcome to Deadline D.C. with Brad Bannon. I'm Brad Bannon. I'm a Democratic strategist, a columnist for The Hill in Washington, D.C., and a political commentator for news radio stations KNX in Los Angeles and WGN in Chicago. You can read my column in The Hill uh, every Monday at muckrack dot com front slash brad dash bannon that's muckrack dot com front slash brad dash bannon my company bannon communications research polls for progressive issue groups labor unions and democrats my company bannon communications research uh is the sponsor of today's show If you want to learn more about me or if you have any ideas or suggestions about Deadline DC, uh, you can reach the best way to reach me is on Twitter. My Twitter handle is Brad uh, Bannon, uh, all one word. Welcome to all of you who are watching me on Twitter and Periscope. Now everyone can watch the show by going to periscope.tv front slash Brad dash uh, Brad Bannon. That's periscope.tv front slash Brad Bannon. Our guest in the first half hour today is Charlie Cook, publisher of the Cook Political Report. In the second half hour, our guest will be on our prog- provocative progressive political panel will be Tara Devlin, uh, the host of Tara Busta on Progressive Voices and progressive political activist Mark Grimaldi. Now we bring our first guest on the show today. Charlie Cook is the founder and publisher of the Cook Political Report. Charlie is one of America's most prominent and shrewdest political observers. He is a frequent guest on Meet the Press and a columnist for the National Journal. Charlie, welcome back to Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. Thanks for having me on, Brad. This is my first time on to do it on Skype. So, uh, well. Uh, we uh in this age we are all doing technological first even at our age yeah <laughs> yeah tough. i know it's scary i don't, i don't like it any better than you do but we do what we need to do That's okay right. let, let's start with the presidential race uh joe biden uh, has a lead nationally he seems to be leading in many of the battleground states too uh it seems to me we've already got to the point where some people are uh on the democratic side are doing a victory lap uh what's your assessment of the presidential race charlie 
Well, I think it's in. I think it's bad luck to do victory laps until uh, uh, until uh, normally election night. But I think uh, this could be a week or two, uh, just because it's just going to take a long time to count votes. Mail uh, ballots and everything. Yeah, yeah. They've got states that have never had to deal with this before. But uh, no, I think that uh, I think Vice President Biden is eight to eight to fourteen points ahead right now nationally. Um, he probably needs to be ahead by, you know, to say three or four points nationally for that to, you know, be reasonably comfortably, you know, uh, uh, translate into electoral college majority. Uh, he's ahead in basically every swing state except for North Carolina. Um, this race has changed uh, enormously since, say, uh, late March, early April that, you know, back then, uh, Biden had a lead. It was like four, five, six points. So it was sort of right above what it needed to be, but it was still quite competitive. And then you started seeing the president's approval rating start to slide for about a month uh, into the coronavirus and the economic situation. And then you started started seeing his uh, his uh, trial heat numbers start to drop and drop into this range now. So, you know, this is, this is this isn't over, but I think the president's in a, a very, very difficult situation. His base is never going to leave him, but I think his ability to win over swing voters, independent voters, um, I think it's been really compromised in the last 90 days. Okay. Uh, of course, uh, the president gave a speech at Mount Rushmore uh, on Thursday, uh, on uh, July 3rd, and it was very much, in my estimation, a, speak, uh, a speech that was uh, geared towards base. Uh, you know, it was, it was very, uh, you know, it was basically a cultural war speech. Uh, it's us against them. Uh, they're trying to take away our American heritage. Uh, you know, it seems to me that, again, it was probably, you know, a great speech for his base. Uh, but, you know, he seems to be doubling down on the culture wars. Maybe he doesn't have any options. I don't know. Uh, is that the way for him to put him back into the presidential race? Uh, I'm not a name calling kind of person, but if someone were to suggest that the president's a one trick pony, I would have a hard time arguing with it. I mean, I think this is the only thing he he understands. He knows, um, you know, people there's this feeling that he pulled off this uh, this miracle in 2016 when it was really sort of a perfect storm of, of factors, uh, some of which had very little to do with him. I, you know, he drew, drew, you know, he drew an inside straight and thinks he could do that every hand. And uh, um, I, you know, when you and I grew up uh, learning politics and working together at a polling firm, uh, crap, that's 40 years ago. Well, God, I, was, uh, I was afraid you were going to say that. <laughs> yeah, uh, that, um, you know, we learned that politics was about uh, about addition. It was not about subtraction or division. Um and I, you know, this is just not how you go after swing voters. That when you get forty-six percent of the vote, and your opponent got forty-eight percent, and you're probably going to have fewer independent votes cast, so that you need to do better than forty-six. Uh, you don't do that by just myopically focusing on your base, and yet that's—I think—that's the only way he knows how to practice politics. And. You know, I, I had a Democratic strategist say that he 
is a fantastic intra-party politician and terrible at inter-party at you know talking to anybody outside of his base and i i think that's absolutely the case okay uh let's uh let me ask you about uh, joe biden uh he's obviously we just discussed uh, doing very well at the po- in the polls uh and he's done it uh i think he's made since march he's probably made three or four public appearances and that's it can that work through the long haul? Can I mean, is he right? Is he just basic? I, it seems to me what he's trying to do is he's just going to he's he's just keeping a very low profile and basically uh, believes that if he uh, doesn't rock the boat too much, uh, the Trump campaign will implode. Do you think Biden is correct in this kind of strategy? Well, when I hear people say, well, Biden's got to get out there, um, it's like, no, he doesn't. Um, you know, not to be catty, but every day he spends hanging out in his basement in Wilmington is a day he's closer to being president of the United States. And, you know, people say, well, he's got to have a, a strong economic agenda. Well, heck, right, this thing is a referendum up or down on one of the most unpopular politicians in America. Why would you want to interfere in that process? Um, so I, I, and the other thing is, I think the American people are not in the mood. Uh, it's not the appropriate time to do traditional campaigning. Uh, I don't think they're in the mood for it. I don't think they'd pay much attention to it. Uh, and it would, it would, it's, it's a public health hazard to try to hold traditional political events. So, um, I, I wouldn't do a I wouldn't do a thing differently than what he's done already, and I realize it makes it drives a lot of ideologues crazy and a lot of busybodies. But uh, uh, you know this 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 race is on a very good trajectory for him, and I don't know why he would want anybody would want to change it. Yeah, there seems to be a certain advantage. I mean, he has picked his spots for public appearances and the contrast between Biden's appearances and Trump's appearances like the one around Mount Rushmore on Friday are pretty compelling in a positive way for Biden. I mean, here you had man being very cautious, wearing a mask, and then you have uh, Donald Trump going out and, you know, basically on a, you know, uh, coronavirus uh, festival tour. Uh, it seems pretty crazy, but I agree it's working for Biden. So why rock the boat? Yeah, I mean, this is just not the time. And, and also, I think the American people, um, they're looking for unity. They're looking. I mean, when you have a crisis, normally that's a time when a president can turn things around that aren't going well, just, you know, like President Clinton and, and, and uh, Oklahoma City, uh, where people look for leadership, they look for unity, and they're not getting it here. And other world leaders saw their numbers move up. Most governors uh, saw their numbers go up, whether yeah. they deserved it or not. Uh, yeah, we've got to go to break now. Uh, when we get back from break, uh, we'll have more with our guest, Charlie Cook. Radio 
audience. Our guest in this half hour is Charlie Cook, uh, pres- uh, founder and publisher of the Cook Political Report and a columnist for the National Journal. Charlie, uh, let's turn to the Senate now. Uh, Donald Trump's uh, decline in job ratings has apparently uh, created opportunities uh, for uh, Democratic uh, Senate candidates across the country. Uh, First of all, what kind of chance do you think there is that Democrats will take a majority uh, in the Senate? I think at the at the low end would be 50-50, and it's probably a little bit higher than that, but I try to be a little conservative on this. Uh, this has changed so much since the last time uh, I, I came on your show. Uh, you know, four or five months ago, there was like a one in three chance, now better than 50-50. And it's a combination of the, you know, at, back uh, four or five months ago, um, they, Democrats had a good chance against Martha McSally in Arizona, against Cory Gardner uh, in Colorado, against Susan Collins in Maine, and and even Tom Tillis in North Carolina. But that was it. And assuming that Doug Jones loses in, in Alabama, which I think is a reasonably safe assumption, uh, Democrats had to go 4-0 on those. And you know, it's doable, but it's hard. Well, what's happened since then? Number one, McSally and Gardner, uh, well, I'd say Tillis and, and Collins, all four of them look even more vulnerable than they did four or five months ago. Then Montana has come online uh, as a toss-up race uh, with, uh, uh, with, with Steve Bullock getting in the race. Then you've got two live races in Georgia, and there is a legit chance for Democrats in each one of them. You could argue about which one's the better chance. Uh, Iowa against Joni Ernst. Um, There are, uh, and then you get into, you know, some longer shots, but there are so many paths to 50, 51 seats for Democrats uh, uh, that it, 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 it looks almost unrecognizable from how it looked six months ago. Uh, well, let me ask you about one of those uh, Republicans. Uh, I saw Jody Ernst, the senator from Iowa, on one of the uh, talk shows on Sunday. Uh, and she uh, basically, uh, when asked about uh, Trump's handling of the uh, pandemic, uh, she tried to change the subject to uh, uh, and make it uh, Barack Obama's handling of the Ebola crisis. And as the uh, host pointed out, uh, Two Americans died during the Ebola crisis, and I think we're up to 130,000 deaths now uh, since the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, is that typical? Are these Republicans, you know, going, you know, down with Donald Trump, or are they trying to distance themselves from Donald Trump? Well, first of all, what the hell do you want her to do? I yeah. mean, it's kind of hard to defend uh, the handling of the coronavirus. Uh, so she's got to say something. Um, I, not necessarily what I would have chosen, but, uh, uh, you know, for, for these Republicans, and we've seen this, well, you know, you and I have seen this for years and years and years. When you have an unpopular president, it is a tough situation when you're running, you're an incumbent. Uh, if you trash a president of your party, you're just going to alienate the base. You're really not going to do yourself any favors with swing voters. But on the other hand, uh, you know, if you just stay joined at the hip, then you 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 go down with the ship, sort of. Uh, so it's 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 how do you calibrate running parallel 
keeping your own identity uh, separate but not dissing, uh, it's very, very hard thing to do. And, uh, you know, people say, how do you do that? And the only thing I can come up with is very carefully because uh, it's not an easy thing to, to do. And it's, it's, it's been the same way with Demo- with, for Democrats and other search circumstances. Yeah. Uh, going back to Donald Trump, I remember reading in one of your recent columns, you were quoting a Republican strategist who said that uh, Trump's best hope now is if the economy gets better. And, you know, hope is not a political strategy. Yeah. Uh, is there anything, you know, besides hoping that Donald Trump can do? Well, first of all, it's uh, it, it, it's most one of the most ironic things I've ever seen is we're in a horrible recession and you have an incumbent president who needs the focus to go on to the economy. And the simple reason is it's it's the only card. It's about the only card he's got to play that every you look at his job approval ratings as you watch this stuff as close as I do on every other subject. Nothing comes close. I mean, where he's he's at least even on handling the economy, everything else, he's way upside down. And where he still gets some benefit of the doubt or some he still gets benefit from the tailwind that existed for three years. Um, and uh, but it's um, um you know, I, I, I wonder what's the shelf life of a good economy when it's not good anymore. Yeah. But what the hell? What the heck else is he gonna? Is he going to uh, to talk about? And and that for and I think we've talked about this before. You know, you, his base is there. The base on the other side's here. For these swing voters in the middle, there was a group of them that um, they 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 liked where the economy was, and they gave him complete credit for it. But at the same time, boy, they had some real doubts about him as a person, his character, his leadership, his presidential style. But the strong economy kept kept it in balance, offset it. Yep. But now you take that strong economy away, and I think the personal concerns go way, way, way up. And then now there's more of a competence thing with the coronavirus and all the civil unrest that this is just, you know, I, how many people think that 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 things are going great right now? And the short answer is not not any swing voters I've ever run across. No, it seems like, you know, a you know, I think I remember uh, a uh, recent Wall Street Journal NBC poll who 80 uh, percent of the public thought things in this country are out of control. Uh, that is a deadly political environment for an incumbent. Charlie, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Brad. Our guest in this half hour was Charlie Cook, publisher of the Cook Political Report and also a columnist for the National Journal. We'll be back after these messages uh, with our second half hour, which as always will be the provocative progressive political panel this week with uh, Tara Devlin, the host of uh, the Progressive Voices talk show, uh, Tara Busta, and our own uh, progressive political activist, Mark Grimaldi. We'll be back with more of Deadline DC with Brad Bannon after these messages. Follow Leslie on Twitter. Just go to www.twitter.com slash Leslie Marshall. And we'll be sure to share your tweets. Welcome back to Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. 
in this half hour, as is our custom, uh, we have our provocative progressive political panel. Today on the panel is our friend uh, Tara Devlin, the host of Terror Buster, and our own Mark Grimaldi, uh, who's a progressive political activist. But before that, um, let me throw in my two cents. The United States faces an unprecedented threat to its national security. The biggest existential danger to our nation isn't the external military menace from the People's Republic of China or the Russian Federation. The major challenge for survival as a world power is the internal peril from the pandemic sweeping the nation and the economic devastation that trails in its wake. Senator Bernie Sanders recently proposed a plan to rebuild the economy. He would cut the Pentagon budget by 10% and use the approximately $75 billion in savings for economic improvements in poverty-stricken parts of the country. The progressive push for cuts in defense spending comes from an urgent need to rebuild the economy in the wake of the pandemic. The official unemployment rate is 11%. State and local government capacity to provide economic and medical relief uh, is crippled by a sharp decline in tax revenues. During the Cold War, the Soviet Union devoted such a large proportion of its gross national product to its armed forces that its economy couldn't stand the strain. Now Russia is trying to re, uh, live over its, uh, off its old glory uh, try, uh, the same thing could happen to the United States if we don't change our budget priorities. If you want to read the rest of my column in The Hill today, Military Madness in the Age of COVID-19, you can Google muckrack.com front slash Brad dash Bannon. Now it's time for a provocative progressive political panel. Uh, today on the panel, uh, our guest is Tara Devlin. Uh, Tara is a New York-based uh, uh, comedian, writer, and founder of Republican Dirty Tricks, also known as R-D-T Daily. <laughs> Tara's unapologetically liberal weekly podcast, Tara Buster, is recorded live every Saturday evening at 6 p.m. on the RTD uh, daily Facebook and YouTube channels and replayed starting Sundays at 6 p.m. Eastern on Progressive Voices. You can follow Tara on Twitter at Real Tara Devlin. That's R-E-A-L-T-A-R-A-D-E-V-L-I-N. And on Instagram at Pterodactyl. That's T-A-R-A-D-A-C-K-T-Y-L. Joining Tara on the panel is progressive political activist Mark Grimaldi, who has worked on get out the vote operations for several Democratic presidential candidates, including Joe Biden. Mark is also involved in campaign finance reform and philanthropic efforts for cancer research. His Twitter uh, handle is Mark J. Grimaldi. Okay, panel. Uh, let's start with uh, Bernie Sanders' proposal to cut 10% uh, off uh, Pentagon spending. Uh, now, the very men mention of uh, cutting 10% of the Pentagon budget uh, drew, uh, drew halls of protest uh, from uh, Republicans uh, saying that our national 
security is in grave danger uh, from who I'm not quite sure about that. Uh, <laughs> really? And uh, we need to uh, increase the budget, the defense department budget, not decrease it. Uh, the military, military industrial complex is incredibly powerful, holds sway over Congress. Uh, so, uh, Tara, let me start with you. Uh, what do you think of Sanders' proposal? That he only wants to cut 10 percent? <laughs> Is <Okay>. that all? <laughs> that seems pretty uh, conservative, in my opinion. He wh- what? How much money? How much more money do we need for this? The, the very thing that Eisenhower warned us about. The military-industrial complex. The, in fact, he what he he called it the military-industrial congressional complex has humanity hanging on a cross of iron. Will we ever heed those warnings? And the the what other um, government institution loses trillions of dollars? And that's one of the things that Bernie wanted to do was to audit the Pentagon, but. If the initial audits of the Pentagon is that they've already lost 35 trillion in accounting errors. Imagine any other company, public or private, that loses 35 trillion dollars. It's a black hole. It's a pit that uh, we really all are paying for. And I, I, ten yeah, percent. If that's if the, the 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 this country puts more money into the military than how many other countries combined, I think uh, we can afford twelve. It. Actually, yeah. Uh, yeah. The next, oh. uh, uh, the United States spends about seven hundred and fifty billion dollars a year on defense spending. The next twelve countries on the list, all together, spend less than that. Right. Uh, the second, the, the second major spender is the People's Republic of China, and they only spend uh, one third of what the United States does. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mark, you want to weigh in on this? Yes, um, a couple points. First of all, I think obviously we have to look <laughs> past uh, the current administration and their policies and see how the military budget would be utilized with future administrations that are hopefully a lot more rational, God willing, um, you know, this coming January. Um, However, what I would say is right now, because you have to look at what's being done right now, we have our own military being hunted by the Taliban Mm -hmm. with Russian bounties. And no one has stood up in the military, the active military that I've seen, and said enough and and become a whistleblower or talk to the media or you know whatever you imagine would happen in a scenario like this it's not happening so there's a huge problem there in my mind Mm -hmm. so i I don't think they Mm -hmm. should be additionally rewarded with the same amount of funding number one number two i recall during the obama administration him scaling down parts of the military and talking about scaling it down more saying we can't be a military that is built to fight two ground wars at once 
we have other policies uh, needs in this nation. Um, and he listed many domestic policies that were worthwhile. And you saw a mm-hmm. lot of support for that. And that was before you've seen the perversions of this administration play out on, on a grand scale across the world. Um, the, the last thing I will say about this point is listen to the specific use of this money okay it would plot first of Mm -hmm. all it would be for a grant program okay so it's not like you're having the administration where you're just giving money to your friends um like the ppp loan program but that those grants would go toward high poverty areas number one that's the most important thing and the texts of the bill lists uh building public housing community health centers and schools decontaminating drinking water hello flint michigan and many Mm. other places we found Mm -hmm payroll for teachers and the final thing is it prohibits money from being spent on prisons i mean just use that and ask first of all how what american supports the same military budget with none of those things or taking just 10 percent off of that military budget when you talk about how big it is and focusing it on those things and i think if that was somehow enacted or even part of it you would see support for what tara is talking about which is further scaling it back and and making it more lean um so i I think it's an awesome proposal especially right now when our country is devastated in so many areas with the pandemic that's going on Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Amen. I uh, must you. admit, uh, Mark reminded me that I have a uh, conflict in this discussion, which I should discuss. Uh, Mark said part of the money uh, would be going to paying uh, uh, increased salaries of, for public school teachers in poverty-stricken areas. Uh, my daughter is a high school teacher in a uh, uh, poverty-stricken uh, area school, so I would indirectly benefit financially from Senator Sanders' proposal. I want my all my listeners uh, to know that. Uh, Brad, okay. I thought you were going to say it's because you were, although not public school, that you were te- that you teach political science at Salem State. But of course, right. that's that's well, uh, that's higher really education. Good. So that's yeah, good. right. I thought you were going to say you were a weapons manufacturer. <laughs> yeah. Could you I, imagine, Brad? In your spare time, I have all sorts of conflicts of interest on this one. So, and I don't own any defense stocks either. So, um, uh, but anyway. Uh, Okay, we're going to uh, go to a break now for our radio listeners. Uh, We will uh, keep going for uh, folks who are watching on Periscope. And if you're listening and you want to watch on Periscope, uh, you can go to periscope.tv slash front slash Brad Bannon so you can uh, see as well as hear the broadcast. We are in the middle of our provocative progressive political panel uh our guests today on the panel are tara devlin the host of Terrorbuster. if you're if you're watching the show you can see the Terrorbuster sign on her uh video <laughs> there um and also um progressive political activist uh mark grimaldi those of you who are listening and would like to watch it's easy to do all you have to do is go to periscope.tv front slash Brad Bannon, and you can watch the show as well as listen to it. Okay, let's switch subjects now. Uh, Our guest in the first half hour, Charlie Cook, who is a prominent political analyst, uh, thinks there's at least a 50-50 chance at the low end that Democrats are going to 
take back control of the United States Senate. Uh, mm. And there's an issue if the Democrats do take control. One of the uh, issues uh, that the new Democratic majority would have to deal with is the filibuster rule. Um, because of the filibuster rule, it takes 60. It, it's nice. It will say if the Democrats pick up enough seats to have, you know, 52 to 48 majority in the Senate. Uh, that's nice because it gives the Democrats control of the agenda in the House. But it's really not enough to get anything done in the Senate because of the filibuster rule, which means a senator can talk a bill to death. You need 60 votes in the Senate really to get anything done. Now, there's some uh, talk among Democrats now, if they take back control of the Senate, uh, to eliminate the full filibuster rule. Uh, so if the Senate wants to pass something, it can do it with 51 votes instead of 60. Now, there's a downside to that. While the Republicans have held majority control of the Senate, uh, the Democratic minority has been able to stop some Trump initiatives uh, be, uh, since the Republican leadership couldn't scrounge up 60 votes. Uh, a good example would be when Donald Trump tried to kill the Affordable Care Act a couple of years ago. Uh, I believe you had uh, 54 uh, senators vote to kill the bill, uh, kill the law, which would have killed it since the House had already done it and the president would have signed it. Uh, but they didn't have the 60 votes they needed to kill the bill. Uh, so Democrats have to worry that if they do kill the bill, filibuster rule, allow it, make it easier for them to pass legislation. Uh, with 51 or 52 votes, that the tides could turn on them. The Senate could, uh, the Republicans could take back control and do the thing, same thing, which would make it easier for them to uh, pass uh, conservative initiatives. So, Tara, uh, do you think Senate Democrats should uh, abolish the filibuster rule? Well, it's it is a tough one because, but it, only if the Democrats want to enact progressive initiatives. The whole thing is broken. Let's get this right out in the open. This system does not work for the working people. And for example, you know, even in uh, the Senate, the and in the House, the House Democrats received a million more votes than Republicans, but they now now we're in the majority, but when we were in the minority, the Senate Republicans received 20 million less votes than the Senate Democrats, but they're still in the majority. So ha the whole thing has been rigged as it is. And this, the, we really can't get anything done with this extreme right wing party that we're dealing with. They have absolutely no interest in governing for the majority of the people in this country. So um, as far as I'm concerned, this whole, I mean, yeah, should we eliminate the filibuster? It's, it feels like so much more has to be reformed. But the point is, we need to get the working class needs to have a seat at the table. And we need to do as much as we can for the working people. And before the Republicans have the complete ability to destroy and pull up the ladders behind them. This is what they do. When they get into power, they 
ensure that instead of, you know, if, some, if a Republican loses a, uh, an election, they figure out ways to suppress the vote. They don't go around figuring out ways to build a coalition and, and have a functioning society to represent the people. They are, they're, they're working for the 1%. And as we know, the st studies from uh, from Princeton, the, the wants and needs of working people have a statistically insignificant effect on government policy. So the filibuster only we have we have problems with the Democrats, too, in my opinion. We need a progressive party like a, the party of FDR that works for the working people. And they, we have to overwhelm this country with uh, with these with the progressive policies. And if that means getting rid of the filibuster, yes, but I don't know, not for uh, but it's it not. I mean, my point is, is that there's so much more that needs to be reformed. And the filibuster, it's like we play this game that, OK, the Republicans might have the ability to roll back all the things that we do. But we really need to reform this entire system. Money in, in politics is really the root of the of the of the inaction and the intransigence of the Republican Party. So, yeah. well, I it's, agree with you. That makes there. sense. I think if there's ever going to be substantive uh, substantial substantive reform, it means limiting money in politics. Yeah. Uh, that is the root of all political evil Absolutely. in this country. And as long as we have uh, the finance campaign, finance system we have, uh, it, it's going to be very difficult to change anything. Mark, what do you think about the filibuster rule? I think Elizabeth Warren has actually made a very strong case for eliminating it while she was running for president. Um, she mm. has talked about how it's been used as a tool to block progress on uh, racial justice. Um, and I think right now that's a message that is very important to a lot of Americans as thankfully they have shown in supporting um, Black Lives Matter and other um basically racial equality policies that we've seen in the business world, the, uh, in the private sector, as well as in the public public sector. Um, she actually told a story that was really interesting when she was at um, Al Sharpton's uh, uh, civil rights talk um, when she was discussing this. And she actually brought up the point that in 1918, the uh, first bill to make lynching a federal crime was introduced um, and it almost became law. It passed the House in 1922, mm. but got killed in the Senate by filibuster and, you know, happened multiple times after that. The other thing that you look at is Republicans set the record for filibusters back in uh, 2013, right. 2014 with a record 218 filibusters in a two-year period and i remember that you know uh, just very distinctively because or very distinctly because mitch mcconnell was doing it over and over mm. i mean at one point if you remember i think it was in like 2012 he filibustered his own bill it yes. was absolutely yes. ridiculous i mean it's the mm -hmm. height of hypocrisy we see that it's impeding you know basic legislation during the obama administration and now you have an e even more hyper partisan environment yep. so it's only yep. going to get yep. worse and and 
When we're on the flip side of it, Mitch McConnell eliminates the use of the filibuster to get what he wants to set up these simple majority votes. So Mm -hmm. what's the point of playing by rules if your opponent doesn't play by them? And then every time you're up to bat, you have to, you know, apply by this rule of, you know, you get two strikes, but I'll take four. Is that okay? No, of course it's not okay. So Mm -hmm. that's my my hot take. I agree. It's they've completely destroyed this they have no interest in governing. Their exactly. goal is is to drag us back to the system the founders rebelled against. Where That's the rich exactly run right. and own every absolutely. They're still fighting the American Revolution. These yeah. are the loyalists. They want to concentrate wealth and money and power in the hands of a few and have the rest of us out here like the serfs toiling in the fields and awaiting our rewards in heaven without having any ability to do to really have a seat at the table and know them by their fruits so you're right to why should we that's the way democrats are though we always bring a a strongly worded email or a a concerned letter to a goddamn gun battle yep it's got to change so i think this is a good start like tara said it's a it's a very small portion of a beginning of a much larger need but i'll take it (laughs) brad you got (laughs) about a minute left brad so i'm gonna let you take it home that finishes uh, us for today thanks for watching deadline and listening to deadline dc with brad bannon Thanks to our guest, Charlie Cook, publisher of the Cook Report, a Cook Political Report, Tara Devlin, uh, the host of Terror Buster, and our own Mark Grimaldi. Uh, I'm here Mondays at 3 o'clock if the Eastern, if the Lord is willing, the creek don't rise, and Donald Trump doesn't declare martial law. <laughs> this is Brad Bannon. Stay strong, stay safe, and don't drink the Clorox or the Kool-Aid. I don't care what the president tells you. Uh, We'll see you uh, next week at 3 p.m. Eastern. So don't miss uh, the next episode of Deadline DC with Brad Bannon or you'll hate yourself the entire week. And make sure you listen to Terra Buster, too, uh, because uh, (laughs) that will make her and her cat happy. That's right. Thanks, Tara. Thanks, Brad. See you later. Thank you. Add a little play to your day with the Michigan Lottery. Over 90 online instant games to choose from with prizes up to $500,000. A Marquette County woman recently won $250,000 playing online. Could you be next? Sign up online today to receive 10 free games with promo code FUN. Visit michiganlottery.com to add a little play to your day. Amazon is hiring near you. Earn a competitive wage and start as soon as seven days. No resume or experience required. Health and safety are a top priority with all of our roles and sites. Amazon is taking precautions in our buildings to keep people healthy. Go to amazon.com slash apply. That's amazon.com slash apply. Amazon is an equal opportunity employer.